Well, good morning. It is a good worship set when you lose track of the number of songs you've sang. I'm just saying, I was like, oh, that's the last one. I should get moving. Would you pray with me real quick? God, we come this morning hungry. Hungry for your word. Hungry for your presence. God, some of us come with questions. Wondering if you're real, wondering if you're really here, wondering if you actually exist, wondering if you even care. And so God, as we come together, some with questions, some dry and thirsty for a fresh dose of your truth, others rejoicing for the things that you've done in our lives. God, I pray that you'd meet us where we are. And God, that as we dig into your word today, we would find things that bring refreshment, things that challenge us, that help us grow. And that God, in all of this, you would be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. True question. How many of you here this morning are generic grocery shoppers? No, no need to spend extra money on name brand stuff, right? Or maybe you're an Aldi grocery shopper and you don't even know if it's name brand or generic. Maybe it's name brand in Germany, but it's not the name brand we know here. So we just don't actually even know. I just don't like wasting money on groceries. I have other things to do. I buy a lot of generics, but there are four foods in our house that if you come in, they are always going to be name brand. And it's because sometimes when we make a counterfeit version of something, it's just not as good, right? So let's be honest. We could eliminate an entire grocery store section if we only had Clausen pickles, Right? I mean, the, the, they got to they have a little crunch. They got to snap a little bit. Every other brand is like flimsy and mushy and gross, and nobody wants to eat that, right? We could also save ourselves some room in the chip aisle because I don't know what Doritos do to that nacho cheese sauce, but if you eat a fake Dorito, you know it immediately. It is not the same. That powdered cheese is just like... Ugh, what is this? That is not a Dorito, all right? And this third one, it's probably the most important one. It could end friendships. So if I come to your house and you say, hey, you know, we're just going to have a real laid-back lunch today. I'm going to make peanut butter and jelly. And you make that peanut butter and jelly sandwich with anything other than Jif, we are probably not ever going to speak again, right? I mean, there's no peanut butter that tastes like Jif. It is, there's just something about the creamy nature of it. It's why choosy moms choose it. Let's just be honest, right? We gotta have Jif. And last, I don't eat these very often because I just, because I can't stop at one, I end up eating the whole package. But there is a significant difference between the original Oreo cookie and any knockoff version of an Oreo cookie. That, that cookie is not as crispy, it's not as crunchy, it just doesn't, it doesn't soak up the milk as well, it's just not right. So if you're new here this morning, welcome. We don't always talk about my grocery shopping habits to start off. And if you call Great Oaks home and you're like, where is he going? Hold on, I got one for you. We talk a lot 
Or it's funny to talk about generic groceries. But to talk about a knockoff version of the gospel is something that should get us fired up. To accept anything other than the true gospel should cause us to become really uncomfortable. And that's where we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks together as we dig into the book of Galatians and we open up this new series called Losing Our Religion. You see, as we walk through Galatians, Paul is going to be calling us to something much deeper than a religion. He wants us to experience a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that leads to our freedom, a relationship lived by the power of the Spirit, and a relationship that sets us free. And so you see, as we walk through Galatians, I hope that you see this. This is an old phrase that you've probably heard before. But when you think about a religion, a religion says, do. Jesus says, done. And that's what I hope we see as we study this book together. Is that we're losing our religion. We're losing a sense of what I have to do. And we're going to learn to live in the freedom and in the grace and in the peace of what Jesus has done. So I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I read about these cities or these places that Paul's writing or he's visiting, to me, in my mind, I always go to like a Wild West ghost town. I don't know why, there's no biblical reason, there's no logical reason or biblical reason that I do this, but it's like small dusty street, couple houses on each side, church at the end, and Paul's done, right? And that's not necessarily the case. They don't look anything like that, mostly. And so I want us to understand a little bit of the context that this letter is being written to. So it's being written to not one church, but a lot of churches all throughout what we would call modern-day Turkey. And just so you know where modern-day Turkey is, we have it on a map, because I'm not sure I could locate it on a globe if I had to. So you kind of see where modern-day Turkey is, and right there in the middle, kind of a little to the east, is going to be where Galatia is. And Galatia is a providence. It's on the next picture that's coming up. And this is where Paul travels on his first missionary journey. And as Paul travels through this area, he's starting churches in each one of these areas. He starts a church in Antioch, Poseidon. He starts a a church in Lystra. He starts a church in Derbe. He starts a church in Iconia. And as Paul walks through there, each time he goes to these cities, a large group of people accept his message, like his message, want to hear more from him, and then there's a large group of people who don't like it. They get jealous. Often they're religious leaders in the day. Most of them at this time are Jewish religious leaders because he starts in the synagogues. And they begin to run him out of town. And there'll be a couple like ruin, pictures of ruins of these cities that are on the screen behind me as we talk about this, as Paul begins navigating his way through this. And so he He gets threatened, he gets run out of town, he leaves Iconia because he thinks they're going to stone him. Not the good kind of stoning, like we think about today, has nothing to do with medical marijuana, has everything to do with actual rocks being thrown at your body. And they're going to stone him. He runs out of there and he goes to Lystra where he ends up getting stoned, drug out of the city, and left for dead. But Paul's passion in all of this is to plant churches, 
so that more people can hear the gospel, so that more people can know the truth of who Jesus is. And as he goes back through on his way back, and then as he leaves, he writes letters back to the leaders in these churches to encourage them, to help them, to correct them when they need correcting. And that's what he's doing in Galatia. And what I want you to understand about this is we're going to take six weeks to walk through this small book of the Bible. So it's pretty short. We're going to take six weeks to walk through it. That is not the way it would have happened. And this is not actually a book. If you didn't know this, it's a letter Paul writes to this church. There would be no chapter numbers or verse numbers in it when he wrote it. He wasn't like, this sentence will be verse 1, and this sentence will be verse 2. He writes a letter, and that letter goes to the churches, and they read it publicly on a Sunday morning. It'd be much like if Paul wrote a letter to the greater Peoria area, and we pass that letter around. So we would stand up here on a Sunday morning, instead of listening to me, I would read a letter to you from the Apostle Paul. Now you can't read, most of the people in that day were not literate, were not able to read, so they listened to what Paul said. And the whole letter was read start to finish, and we'd talk about the letter for a little bit, and then the letter went on with the letter carrier to the next church. And that's what church would be like. And so as you listen to this message, I want you to understand that's what the, the churches in Galatia are getting. They're all getting this. It's not going to one place. It's going to various churches that Paul has started along his missionary journeys. So as we know that context, let's dive into Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul continues, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of God. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what, you have said, what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Now, if you read this and you think, wow, Paul seems a little angry it is a little bit of a different letter from what Paul normally writes. Normally his letters start out very friendly. He writes, he writes some encouraging things. He says, I've heard these great things about you. Thanks for doing this. I'm praying for you. Nope, in this one he's like, I am shocked that so soon after I left, you have left the gospel. You have walked away and what you're actually believing isn't even the gospel. And that's going to be his argument all the way throughout this book. He's coming back to this place. I want you to know and believe the true gospel. 
what Paul is going to tell us throughout the book, I'm going to give you the ending before, at the very beginning, is the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let that sink in for just a minute. How does that line up with your definition of the gospel? As you think through that, how does that hit you this morning? You see, Paul is creating some tension here. What he's essentially saying is to anyone in Galatia who is holding on to their Jewish identity, to their Jewish heritage, to their Jewish way of faith is your way of relating to the gospel, your way of having a relationship with God has come to an end. That's a big statement. I can imagine if a guest speaker came in here today, stood on this stage at Great Oaks and said to us, your way of relating to God is over. There's a new way to relate to God. What you think you're doing is right, but you're wrong. There would be a few of us who would, in the audience, stand up and walk out the back door. Right? Because, uh-uh. How dare you come in and tell me we're wrong? There might be a few who are a little more bold who would stand up and yell things back at the stage at them to, to let them know that we know they're wrong. You can't tell me that my way of relating to God is wrong or over. There might be a larger group who would get together and as soon as that person came off the stage would wrap their arm around their shoulder, you know, in that huggy kind of way, like, hey, come here, we're well, going to be friends and I'm going to give you some hard truth. And maybe we walk them out of the room and we're just like, hey, listen, that's, that's, not, that's not true. And you're not welcome here anymore. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Right? But that's what Paul's, I don't, I don't want us to miss this. Because we look at him, we're like, well, he's just proclaiming the gospel. We know the gospel. No, he's proclaiming something that is saying to them, what you believe is true is not true anymore. He says it very clearly in Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given? Speaking to the Jewish Christians, why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and all people. You see, he's saying the law that you want to add to the gospel was temporary. It's over. It's Jesus now. And he's challenging them. Now, just like us, the Galatians, when someone comes in and says and builds this tension of your way of relating to God is over, we want to know, who do you think you are? And Paul spends most of Galatians chapter 1 giving us his credentials to make this statement. He leads off with, I am an apostle. Now, apostle is a big fancy church word for a sent one. Someone who is sent with a message to share. And <clears throat> throughout church history, there is a capital A apostle and there's a little a apostle. And capital A apostles are people who were sent directly by Jesus to take this message to the communities where they live. 
Anybody want to guess how many capital A apostles there were in the history of the world? Thirteen. There are 12 disciples who were sent by Jesus with the Great Commission, and then there's Paul. Right? So capital A apostles, people who directly interacted with, spoke with Jesus, there are 13 of them. And Paul says, I'm equal to one of the disciples. My calling is equal to Peter, to James, to John, to all the people who are leading the church in that day. My calling is equal to theirs. And he reminds them of who he was. Do you remember? I'm the one who persecuted the church. I'm the one who wanted to kill all of the believers. And Jesus met me. Paul's conversion story is in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18, if you want to read it later on this afternoon. But in Acts 9, 5, and 6, this is what it says. I am Jesus the one you are persecuting, speaking directly to Paul. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You see, Paul has papers on his person. He's going to round up the Christians to imprison them, and based on what we've seen so far in Acts, we believe he's going to have them killed for their faith. But Jesus stops him on his way to do that. And if you read or your book or your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, these words are in bright red. Jesus is speaking directly to Paul. His name was Saul at that time. Changes his name to Paul and he says, listen, you're going to go. And Jesus then goes and speaks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I need you to go over to this straight street where Paul is. I need you to tell him that he's going to be my apostle to the the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. I need you to tell him that his mission is now to tell these people the truth of my good news. Ananias does that, and shortly after, in the book of Acts, Paul begins to preach the gospel. But Paul says, you need to understand something. It's not just that I'm an apostle, it's that my message came directly from Jesus. Take a look at Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me to be his, his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult any human being. Paul says, listen, when I met Jesus, he spoke these words to me. It doesn't make logical human sense. The gospel doesn't make sense, but it's the message that, Je that Jesus told me to go and share. I didn't go to Jerusalem for three years and sit under Peter's teaching and let him disciple me. I went with the message that Jesus had given me. And it's on that authority that I speak as an apostle, as one given a message directly from Jesus. And then he ends Galatians chapter 1 with this message that all the churches are accepting his message. Now we could go, whoa, 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 that's not a very good test, right? Just because somebody accepts my message doesn't mean I, I'm saying the right thing. We can believe lots of false things or be convinced of lots of false things. Think about any pyramid scheme you want to think of. But matched up with the idea that he is an apostle, that his message came directly from Jesus, and that the churches are celebrating him, Paul says, this is why I can tell you this. This is why I declare this message to you. 
It's why Paul wants us to know that the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So if that's the core of the message, what's the gospel? Now, I'm not one for acronyms. I think they're normally pretty cheesy. But this is an old one that's stuck around for a long, long time. And I think it comes out of Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. The gospel, G. God created everyone. We are each God's creation, created in his image. God looked at us at the end of his creation. He looked at all he had created. He stepped back and he said, this is very good. And he created us to be in relationship with him. It's why in Genesis chapter 1, you see Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden, talking with God, in relationship with God. Oh, our sins are separate us from God. If you know the Bible story at all, or if you're here for the first time today, I want you to know God created you to be with him, but in Genesis chapter 3, we sinned and broke that relationship. Every single one of us. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sins separate us from God. There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up The truth of the gospel is, S, sin can't be removed by good deeds. We can't be good enough. If you read all through scripture, it actually says that our sins are like filthy rags. So guilty pleasure of mine, I like Taco John's. It's not healthy for you, but it's delicious. Right, So this week I had to go to one of my son's soccer games and I got this, I don't know what it was, some kind of burrito with molten nacho cheese in the side of it. I bit into it and that cheese overflowed the side and down onto my hand. And so I grabbed the napkin as I'm driving in the car to the soccer game and I wiped it off. But that cheese didn't get actually off, it just ended up on this hand. And now I've got to grab my steering wheel and now I've got nacho cheese on my steering wheel and so I'm grabbing napkins. That's what it's like when we try to do enough good works to get rid of our sin. We end up just smearing it all over our body. We can't get clean. The gospel says we can't clean ourselves up. We just keep wiping sin all over us. E. Everyone who trusts in him will have eternal life. Everyone. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you're struggling with right now. I don't care what other people have said about you. Jesus said, I came to die for your sin. To be the ultimate Clorox wipe that gets the nacho cheese off your body and makes you clean. Not on the outside, but from the inside out. I came, Paul says, to rescue you. When you were trapped, when you couldn't get out, Jesus came and he says, all you've got to do is believe in me. Nothing else. Not clean yourself up. Not make yourself look nice. Not behave a certain way. Believe. L. 
Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. You see, church, the gospel transforms our life. It transforms our daily life right now. We spend a lot of time thinking about, i got to share the gospel with somebody so their eternity can change. That's true. But is the gospel impacting your and I's life today? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. That's not a future, that's a present verb. I came that you may have life today. The gospel transforms the way we live. It transforms the way we relate. It transforms the way we think. The gospel is everything. Paul gets fired up about this because the church in Galatia, the Jewish leaders in Galatia have taken this beautiful picture of what God says we are and they've added to it. They've put back on the rules. They've said, no, you've got to do these things. They've stopped talking about what Jesus has done and started adding on. And we're going to look at the things they add on as we walk through this book. But church, what I want you to know today is the gospel sets you free, rescued from sin, rescued from striving and trying to be good enough, rescued to live by the Spirit For the religious leaders, their formula looked like Jesus plus the law equals everything. Paul's answer to them is, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That doesn't help anybody. So what do we add to the gospel? If the truth is Jesus plus nothing makes us right with God, What might we add? What are we adding as we share the truth of the gospel with other people, as we live our lives, as we think about other people, maybe as we secretly in our head judge them? I think some of the common things in our culture are to add Jesus plus church attendance. And let's be honest, only in-person church attendance. Sorry, all you online folks, doesn't count. That's not the gospel. What about Jesus plus how we dress at church? Teenagers, this is for you. You can use it against your parents. God doesn't say you got to wear something special to church. What about Jesus plus what you say? What about Jesus plus who you judge? What about Jesus plus a certain denomination? Jesus plus your good works. When I was in college, it was Jesus plus how you date. Some of you are of this generation. You might remember when the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye came out. I was a senior. Corey and I had been dating for three years. And all of a sudden, our friends are coming up to us. And they're saying, you guys need to break up. I don't think we're friends. 
I was pretty sure at this point, this is a done deal. Like, right? Like, I'm paying for a ring right now. I don't know what you're thinking that I need to break up with her, but you've lost your mind. Well, the gospel says you only date this way. And you guys aren't dating this way. So maybe you're outside the gospel. And you think I'm crazy, but it happened four times. So I didn't kiss dating goodbye. I kissed that book goodbye. But church, what are we putting? We can look at that as a funny example and be like, well, that's weird, but okay, whatever. What are we saying? Jesus does all of this, but only if you do this. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus stretched out his arms, hung on a cross, died for you and me so that we could be set free, so that we could be rescued from our sins. The truth of the gospel is Jesus loves each and every one of us just the way we are. Jesus came to die for each and every one of us just the way we were. He didn't make us get ourselves cleaned up. And the truth is, church, when we want people to clean themselves up before they experience the love of Jesus, we give them a generic gospel. We give them a false version of the gospel. We believe in Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit at work in us to change us. The true gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I think that means we have two questions to ask ourselves. What does the gospel mean for you and I, you and I, individually? What's it mean for you? Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus Santa Claus? Sitting in heaven with a naughty and a nice list? Watching to see every mistake you make? making you feel guilty for the way you live? Or is Jesus the Son of God who came to die on a cross for you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see our mistakes, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the blood of Jesus poured over us that sets us free? If you're here this morning and you're like, this is a whole different Jesus than I've heard about before, don't leave here without talking to somebody. If you're tuning in online, there's somebody in the chat room who would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. Because Jesus died for you before you cleaned yourself up, before you did anything to earn it. He loves you. And it will change your eternity. But it won't only change your eternity, it will change your today. What's the gospel mean for you? And if you're a follower of Jesus, what's the gospel mean for others? What's the gospel mean for others? When we have good news, anybody get, a, get really good news and then just be like, I'm just gonna sit on this for a while. I'm just gonna like tuck it down. Maybe you're a grandparent. Grandma, grandpa, 
and you are about to have your first grandkid. Anybody go just sit on that? I've never met a grandparent who will sit on that news. Normally it's at like death threats of their children. Don't tell because we don't want anyone to know yet, right? That's why you don't tell. When we get good news, we want to celebrate that. We want to share that. Why is it so different with the good news of the gospel? Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work for everyone who believes. We have a responsibility. If we believe the gospel, if we believe that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, it should make us easier. It should make it easier for us to love our neighbors as we see them as created in the image of God. It should make us easier for us to not judge their sin because we understand we all sin. They just do it differently than we do it. We're called to love like Jesus loved us. To meet people where they are. Not require them to get cleaned up, but to meet them where they are, share the gospel with them. My rights have to take a back seat when I see the gospel this way. Because the gospel demands that I put others in front of myself. My previous senior pastor said it this way, Every week we can come and gather and we can have a service or we can have a serve us. Why does the church exist? To serve us? To do it the way we want it done? To do it the way we've always done it? To make me happy? Or to serve? the world that needs to hear the message of the truth. Are we more bothered that something that happens in here on a Sunday morning didn't happen the way we wanted it to, or we thought it should, or we didn't get our needs met, than we are that in our communities there are thousands of people about to spend an eternity separated from the God who loves them. Church, that's the truth. It's the gospel that has the power to change lives. So maybe the third question we have to ask is, what are we willing to give up in order for our neighbors to be able to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus? Church, we have to get this right. As important as name brand Oreos are, The gospel is thousands and thousands of times more important. Our message is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Will you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, I am so thankful but I didn't have to get it right. I didn't have to say all the right things. I didn't have to do all the right things. I just had to believe that your son came and died for me. 
God, for those in the room who believe that today, help us do the hard work of looking inside of ourselves and seeing where we've added to that message. Where have we added things that other people have to do that we didn't have to do that keep them from knowing who you are? God, for those in the room who've never heard or never believed or never taken that first step of trust, I pray that this message of the gospel would transform their lives. would change the way they see you, would change the way they see themselves, would change the way they live. Because all of a sudden, they realize that the God of the universe loves them. God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see those who we come across every week and every day who don't know you. Break our hearts. Change our schedules so that we will take the time to share with them the truth of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Each month here at Great Oaks, we pause. And we pause intentionally to remember the true gospel. The gospel that Jesus came, died on a cross, his body broken, his blood shed, so that we could have life. And so as we take communion, we invite you to remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in that upper room. When he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins for all who believe. As you come and receive communion today, may you remember the message of the true gospel. Whenever you're ready, come on up.